0: Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners, with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org.
1: Welcome to the March 2022 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. A proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 285, we visit with Larry Farber, author of Noted Memories, How a Kid from Charlotte Had a Moment with Tony, Aretha, Bonnie, Cheryl, and More. That's Tony Bennett, Aretha Franklin, Bonnie Raitt, and Cheryl Crow. Larry grew up playing in bands, performing at weddings and parties. He then booked bands for a living, opened a private music club called Music with Friends, and then Middle C Jazz in uptown Charlotte. He ended up with musical stories to tell that he shares in this book. Songwriter and singer Darius Rucker had this to say about the book. Larry's memoir is filled with memories of a lifetime. Many are funny, but in his story, I hope readers appreciate the more serious side of his calling. Larry is an ambassador for harmony. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for spending some of your valuable time with us. We very much appreciate it uh, and thank you for being here. I'm your host, Landis Wade, and I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories and love interviewing authors about their books and sharing that uh, with you, the listener. A few quick things to know about the podcast. Uh, You can listen to the podcast wherever you like to get your podcast on all major podcast platforms, but you can also get more at charlottereaderspodcast.com and our website there. You can get show notes on each episode where we share information about uh, the authors who appear on the show. There's a guest list that shows all the authors with links to their episodes. There is a community blog where authors who've appeared on the show or who've submitted to the podcast can share their wisdom and knowledge about writing and book recommendations. And then we have a community vlog where we do some Facebook live interviews. Uh, if you like video, check that out. And then there's the book report you can sign up for uh, at the podcast website That's where we share on a monthly basis information about the podcast, what's happening, what's coming, and uh, hey, we won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And if you like uh, audiobooks, check out Libro.fm. We have an affiliation with them because they support independent bookstores. And when you sign up, if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, you're going to get a free audiobook. On the Landis Wade front, check out LandisWade.com. That's where you can find out more about uh, me and my writing. I also have a blog there where I, I write about uh, what I've learned uh, from authors and learn about the writing process. It's called Wade Scripts. And we have a newsletter you can sign up for there, uh, the Landis Wade Author Newsletter. And uh, shameless plug here uh, from the other sponsor of the podcast, uh, that's me. I have a novel. Uh, it's out on ebook now. It's coming out in print uh, on April the 5th. Uh, It's called Deadly Declarations, uh, and it's about an unlikely trio of retirees who set out to solve the mystery of the supposed Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence. That is, if they don't die trying. Let's get to the episode. Larry, welcome to the show.
0: I'm glad to be here, Landis.
1: I feel like I should hum or something at the beginning here with the,
0: with well, the music. Well, if you want to work at Middle C, I think that's a good, good uh, <laughs> place to start. We work, gotcha. We can put you in there on Tuesday nights when we're closed.
1: Yeah, You don't want me singing. I could strum a guitar, but I wouldn't be able to sing. Hey, listen, congratulations on the book.
0: Thank you so much.
1: I want to start uh, with the fact that you've devoted your life to, uh, to music. You've played in bands. You've booked bands. We talked about Middle C jazz. We'll talk some more about it. Um, But, you know, first of all, since you kind of made a career out of music, uh, what was it about music that made you want to build a life around it?
0: You and I share something in common, Lannis. I was Chapel Hill. I was in law school, ready to go, uh, but didn't feel it in my bones. Grew up in Charlotte playing in local bands, the Rivieres, and a number of other bands. And that was my passion. But I felt you know, this guilt from my parents. Like, you, you Larry, you're not going to make music your life. You know, you got to be a doctor. You got to be a lawyer. You know, these Jewish parents that I have <laughs> and that are still alive, by the way. So I was I was in college and uh, still playing in bands on weekends, not going to the frat parties and got into law school. And, and then, you know, a, come May of when I graduated in 1973, my heart wasn't in it. And there was a local guy named Ted Hall, you may have remembered, who was the sort of godfather of music. He ran bands at Park Center, where we used to all go here, you know, all the big, great groups. And, um, and he booked my bands and offered me a job. And so I told my parents, I'm taking just one year off. Let me just pursue this for one year. And I went to work for him at attractions. Um, and shortly after... Uh, my entrepreneurial spirit took me to open a club on Monroe Road called The Boardwalk. And it was time for me to now go back to law school. I was making what I thought was buku's money, loving my life. And I went, you know, sorry, parents, this is what I love. And the rest is history.
1: Yeah, why, why ruin all that with law school, right? Yeah,
0: right, <laughs> right. I married an attorney.
1: So. <laughs> That's right. Too, and I did, too. But uh, she decided to do something worthwhile with her life. She became a teacher after that. I, so love right. yeah. I love it. I love it. We yeah. share
0: another thing in common.
1: Exactly. So, But your story started out with a piano, right?
0: It did. It's a. It really is a cool story. I grew up in Cotswold section of Charlotte, and I was on Chelmsford Road, and we had this group of guys, uh, David Russo, who owned Brownlee's, and his dad owned Brownlee's, Al Russo, and Craig Maddens, and a bunch of our buddies, we would play basketball every day, all kinds of sports. And one day I saw Craig's mom uh, ushering in a baby grand piano into their house, which I'd never seen a a baby grand piano. I'd seen it on television. So the next day I said, Craig, can I come over and, and I got to see this thing? And I went over and I started, you know, just messing around the piano. Went back to my parents and I went more than anything. And I was 12. I said, I really want a piano. So they did. They they honored this request. They bought an upright Whirlitzer piano, which I still have in the family. My sweet little granddaughter, Sutton, is now, uh, hopefully will learn to play on it. But I never let that piano go, Lannis, because it meant so much to me, not just because it's where I got my start, but the great Peter Nero, who was an incredible musician years ago, actually came to my house, signed the piano, practiced, damn it, Larry, practice. So d- that was an heirloom for me. And uh, but that's where it began. It was at a friend's house and and it spoke to my heart.
1: That's great. Now, you know, as you alluded to earlier, most of your career was spent uh, booking bands, not playing in bands. You sort of gave up that dream and you became the booker, not the not not the performer. Um, I'm curious a little bit about that industry, because a little bit I remember about it was uh, kind of in. when I was at Davidson, and we go to the fraternity parties, and somebody had booked, uh, you know, the latest band or something, I, I I knew it had to happen somehow. I wasn't sure how how it got done, but uh, talk about a little about that business and how it's changed over time.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. You went to Davidson because, well, um, not to sidetrack, but one of my best friends, John Huey, um, yeah, I, Davidson, and John is is somebody that I love so much because he called me when I was in the business said, Larry, when I get out of Davidson, I'm going to get into that business. I try to discourage him, just like my parents had discouraged me. And thankfully, I didn't because the next time John came around, he was booking Sting. And he's gone on to be one of the biggest and most successful agents, managers, honestly, in the world. Um, but for me, uh, I, yes, I did play. And my piano teacher, Ziggy Hurwitz, always said to me, Larry, look, you don't want to make playing your your lifetime, use it for fun. But going out three nights a week, teaching students, being on the road, it's not the way to go. But get on the other side of the business of music. So knowing that, um, you know, I I did start my career with Hit Attractions and I was going into the Davidsons of the Worlds and North Carolina State, meeting with fraternities, sororities, booking their bands, going to our local country clubs and booking the member members Uh, booking bar mitzvahs, booking high school proms. And at the same time, Landis, um, even though that became my profession, I still loved playing in bands. So I would play 20, 25 times a year with a few groups just to keep the chops going, because again, it fed my soul. And until two years ago, I still did that. Now I realize I watch these musicians at Middle C and I go, Larry, what are you doing? These these guys are really good. I, I've got to give it up. But So I spent my my life's work until two years ago, really 47 years, booking mm-hmm. every imaginable kind of act for every imaginable kind of person everywhere around the world. I mean, as far as Ethiopia, and it didn't matter whether you were booking a DJ, um, one-man accordion player, or the biggest... Earth, Wind & Fire, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, I was able and fortunate to to cover the whole spectrum.
1: Did it change much from when you started uh, the business to where it is now?
0: Changed a lot. It's such a good question because when you started, think about it, technology. How did you sell a band? Well, this is how you sold a band. You went and said, guys, I want a picture. Give me a nice glossy. (laughs) Go into your room like we are and, and make a recording for me. Give me something that I can that I can have a cassette, um, and give me your song list, write it out, bio. And then I would go visit you at Davidson, and we'd sit down and I'd go, you know, the the Spontanes, the Sponge Tones, you know, (laughs) all these bands, and you go, well, tell me about them. I would show you a song list. I would do my best uh, to sell you on them and talk to you about I might play a little demo, something you could barely you know, understand, but I would play it for you and and that's how you would make your choice now, fast forward. are you kidding me? In real time, people go on YouTube and listen to them live and they they get a million comments and they can do like we're doing and go into their homes and watch a rehearsal. Um, so the technology has has changed the way we deliver uh, you know their our information and sales pitches. And the way bands sell themselves also, what changes is they needed agents more then because they didn't have an ability to just network the world. Well, now if, if if a band decides, they can set up their own sites and try to sell themselves. So you've got to, as an agent, have a competitive advantage. You've got to go to the band. Here's why I can sell you better than you can sell yourself. And that's how it's changed. But that's a wonderful question because it's totally changed.
1: Yeah, as as has the practice of law and teaching yep. and
0: most everything else, you
1: know, right. as time, time goes by. Well, one of the things you talk about, Larry, in your book here, uh, you know, um, is the uh, music with friends that you started uh, here in Charlotte. Uh, and, and by the way, Jeff Davis, if you're listening, uh we you love know, Jeff David. Yeah, yeah Jeff. He, he actually, just so you know, he invited me. I uh, went to one of your. Actually, went to two. He took took uh, my wife and me to Three Dog Night and Allison Krauss. Uh, I have to tell you, Three Dog Night, they looked like they were about ready to turn turn it in. I mean, you yeah. Know
0: well, you know, it's funny, Landis. I call it Two Dog Night because it's two <laughs> originals. Yeah, 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 their vo- their voices had dropped a little bit. But it was still
1: fun. I mean, you had you know it's a good time and everything. But uh, talk about music with friends because it's a way that you've been able to bring big names to Charlotte uh, in kind of a unique way. Um, tell us, uh, you know, sort of where it is now. I mean, and and where it's headed.
0: Yeah. By the way, circle April twelfth. Jeff Davis brought you to three shows. I'm inviting you to John Fogarty, which is not an old-time washed-up guy, <laughs> treating his clear-order voice on April 12th, so right. be my guest. But Music with Friends, and thank, thankfully for my great friend Jeff, is, is probably the thing that I'm most passionate about, something that I feel so good about starting, because uh, Jeff and I met at a restaurant on East Boulevard. He had an idea of promoting shows, and I said, Jeff, we don't want to become promoters, but what if we change the paradigm and we actually form a country club for music lovers. I mean, you join, you get your own seat. We have three shows a year in a beautiful venue like McGlowan is with the beautiful church and acoustics perfect. And we allow our members to pick the artists. We, We send out a poll, you tell us who you like, we get these great legends and we do it with our friends. And we do it in a situation where it's up close and personal, where the artists are able to tell their stories. Um, and where you can hear them in a different way. And so 17 years later, and four cities that I did it in, Charleston, South Carolina, Nashville, still in Houston and Charlotte, um, I can tell you that it has filled my heart with more joy than really, other than my family, than anything I've done. Because I sit there, Landis, and I watch everybody out in the audience, and they're reliving their past memories of where they were when they first saw Bonnie Raitt uh, who they dated when they were with Cheryl Crow. And then the emotional stories of sad things that have happened to people, but music has healed. And so I feel like I'm bringing and resurrecting great memories. I'm healing the soul and I'm fulfilling my own soul by being able to see these people unlike any kind of situation you can imagine. It's great to see these people with 20,000 people at Spectrum or at an outdoor amphitheater. But if you think it's the same as seeing them in your small little house with 500 people, you got something coming. So it's now going into our 17th season in Charlotte. And when I look and share these stories and thought about the crazy things that have happened with these artists, um, for me, I'll look back and go, Larry, you did something that really meant something to you and to other people in Charlotte. And I get to share this with my family and my friends.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely a win-win, and it was actually one of my favorite chapters in the in the book, Larry. Uh, that and the the discussion of Jay Thomas, which we'll get to. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and the reason it was one of my favorite is because you were sort of pulling the curtain back. Uh, yeah. from what was going on with these uh, performers, uh, which you know the audience doesn't see, there's a lot of prep that goes into getting uh, these people there, uh, booking them, getting them up on stage, and so I'm ju- just curious about some of the personalities that you, you ran into. I mean, there, there's a whole list of names. There's you know James Brown, Tony Bennett, Chicago, ZZ Top, James Taylor. Uh, I think you had to drive James Taylor to get a harmonica Crosby, Stills and Nash, Stephen Stills needed a chiropractor. You yeah. had to find him. You so, read it uh, well. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Uh, and Dion Warwick, no encores where I'm not doing encores, no matter what. So what did you take from that? It sounded in some respect, it sounded a little bit like some of them were a bit, you know, like, prima donnas, but of course they had fame, they had fortune, Uh, they could come to expect that to some extent. But you had seen a lot of these folks up close and personal. How was it to you uh, to deal with some of these uh, requests that they have uh, when they come to perform?
0: Yeah. So uh, overwhelmingly, um, most of the artists have been incredible. Okay. Uh, As long as you meet their rider requirements to a degree... Then um, they're wonderful, and they have their managers that preemptively get in there so they don't have to. Uh, it, it's filtered through them. Some of the tour managers can be kinder than others, more gentle. But you know, if as long as you treat them with respect and you give them what they want, they're they're really great. And matter of fact, um, I have to say, just as that kid from Charlotte, like we are, that dreams about meeting the people, I I now consider so many of these artists my friends because we talk, we text, and they're just great people. We talk about our families, we talk about our sports and things we have in common. But but then there's a couple that are Freeman <laughs> yeah. And 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 you know you, you have to take the emotion out of it, just solve problems like you did as an attorney. You know one of my first shows, Michael O'Donnell had a serious toothache. I called my dentist. He got me close <laughs> with somebody. And like two hours before we we fixed it. Steven Stills needed a chiropractor called somebody on East Boulevard and got him over. I mean, I've had all those things happen and you just have to know there's that possibility. Don't panic, solve the problem. And once in a while you do all this and there's still pre-Madonnas. And for me, I, got, I And it's cataloged in my head and I don't ever bring those people back. And there's a few people in that book, you can imagine by reading it, that I've never booked again, but but there's 90% of them that I just can't wait to be in their uh, presence again.
1: Yeah. Well, I was curious about one, James Brown. You told a little story about he wanted his payment of $25,000 in cash to where one you had to get... One of my favorite
0: stories. <laughs> Tell us that story. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So, Cindy Patterson. Um, who was on the council and was working for First Union at the time. So she hired me to book um, a band for the opening of a new bank in in Roanoke, Virginia on a Sunday. And our artist uh, was one and only the Godfather, James Brown. So it's at a venue in Roanoke. Everything's going well, set up. and, And about an hour before, as the contract stated, uh, he wanted to get his certified check, um, the his the balance before he went on. Now you always pay a deposit in our business, and it's fifty percent. So that had been sent into his agency. So I knock on the door, and Lannis again. I'm no different than you. And the door opens. There's James Brown. I don't know if you went to see his movie in curlers, getting ready. And it's like that was my. Fr- I mean, I'm this far, and you know you're a little bit overwhelmed because it's James Brown. And he's in his curlers. And you know, I'm professional. I'm trying, Mr. Brown, here's your $25,000 certified check. And he looked at me and he took the check and he handed it back to me. And he said, I'm not taking a $25,000 certified check. I said, Mr. Brown, here's your, I don't want to see the contract. I want cash. I'm supposed to be on in one hour. You either get it for me or I'm not going on. There was no reason for me to argue at that point. I shut the door. I huddled with these guys from First Union. We, again, problem with the solution. One of the guys popped up. And he said, I got it. He said, we've got 10 of our bankers here. He literally knew where all the, you know, teller machines were. That <laughs> and, and he sent everybody else at 10 different machines with paper bags. I can't make it up. And they went and each one of them got 2,500, whatever the limit was in 20s. And they put it in their bag. They got back to me 15 minutes before we dumped it in one bag. I knocked on the door. I said, Mr. Brown, there's $25,000 cash in here, all in 20s. You don't, now I was taking the upper hand. You don't have time to count this. I can promise you it's here. I'll hand this to your road manager once you're on stage. And he can start counting. And I'll help him, help him. I'll bring in all my crew to help. But I promise you, at this point, were playing it by my rules. Here's the money. Your manager can hold it. And he said, OK. And it was just like, <laughs> you know, so that that was one. Um, and, and, yeah. and later on, if, if the movie that uh, that came out on James Brown, there was a scene in there and I was sitting there with my wife and he comes to the door and Colonel says, Sherry, Sherry, this really happened to me. <laughs> and, you know, and it talked about his, some of his troubles with the IRS. So I lived it for a moment.
1: Yeah. And and it's interesting to me, too. You know, I saw uh, Jackson Brown in concert in around 1979 up in uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, because I was working up there as a waiter in a big coliseum. Yeah. Great, great concert. But you had him uh, Uh, there. And one of the things you said in the book was that uh, he ran off some of your members because he had an Obama sticker on his piano now, yeah, so two, now, now yeah, come on. Yeah.
0: I mean, why can't you just enjoy a little music and not get yeah. get, get out of sorts? We we exactly. So <laughs> thank you for bringing this up. I and this is why I wrote the book. Two things happened that night that were will remain in my memory bank for as long as I live. The best was he was staying across the street at Dunhill, so I walked over to pick him up or walk him across the street for sound check, and I said, "Mr. Brown, nice to meet you." And like you, like you, I'm a big fan and. And I go, hey, by the way, um, I managed a guy, which I did, Maurice Williams, which is in the book. And I said, you know, you do one of Maurice's songs. He said, oh, my gosh, I love Maurice Williams. Do you know where he is now? I said, yeah, he's living in Charlotte. He said, do you have his number? I said, yeah. So he said, will you dial it for me? So I get him on the phone and Maurice, they're, they're talking. The next thing I know, he tells Maurice to come down to the show. They surprise my audience by getting on the stage and singing Stay. And, and they treated Maurice like he was a god had he, he, his band. So that was something that happened, Landis, spontaneously that you can't recreate. One of the best shows ever. So a day later, I'm I'm basking in the glory, and I get note Elite Names out, three or four members that quit the club. And I went, what are you talking about? He said, because he had this Obama stuff on the stage. I went, wait a second song these performers sing songs about causes they believe in they have political what but it's their music and how can you associate it why would you and i said fine here's your money back no matter where you sit and i and i you know i just didn't let that bother me but you know thank you for bringing that up that was yeah. a interesting story
1: yeah it seemed like the song would uh, bridge the gap but not for some people i guess but not
0: for some people uh,
1: Uh, Well, look, uh, on Charlotte's podcast, we uh, we like to have the authors read a little bit from their books, and uh, you've got uh, a couple of sections you're going to read. I think you've got one about Aretha Franklin. Is that right?
0: I do. I do. I do. I had Aretha playing for me uh, at Music with Friends, and here we go. At 10 p.m. the night before Aretha Franklin was to perform at Music with Friends on February 11, 2012, I got a call from her people. Aretha, whose voice is a gift from God, wasn't going on. The singer and friend she had known since childhood, Whitney Houston, had just died unexpectedly. Aretha, her representative told me, was in no condition to perform. I felt her pain, but I also felt an obligation to the audience eager to see and hear the queen of soul. Aretha grew up singing in churches. McLowan Theater, where she would perform, is an old baptist church rich in warmth and intimacy. Where better to perform than here, I told Aretha's team. Why not take the stage and honor Whitney in song? That's what happened. 45 minutes into her set, seated at the piano, orchestra and backup singers behind her, Aretha offered a gospel tense tribute to Whitney. I'll never forget it. Neither were those in the audience. Performing a plaintive improvisational version of Whitney's classic, I Will Always Love You, she half sung and half reminisced. We want to say thank you Jesus loves me. Pray for the family. She was a daughter, a wife, a Christian, a singer. These spontaneous moments live on the internet. Thank you, Aretha. A side note to the night. Before Aretha went on, I paid part of her feeding cash, $50,000 in $50 wrappers, each holding $1,000 each. (laughs) And
1: I think you said she took it in and set it on the piano where she could Uh, see it.
0: She took it in, she put it in her big black bag. It went on the piano. I have that picture in my bedroom. It will be there forever. And I love that story because, you know, Whitney had passed away. I had to pe- count out 50 grand to her. Her manager told me, Landis, don't be insulted if she asks you to count it again. So I preemptively finished counting. I said, Miss Franklin, may I count it again? She said, that's okay. And I felt like, yes. We, we we just maybe established a little bit of trust in that two minutes. So yeah,
1: that's that's great. I mean, I, I just now, if, if if you hadn't seen it, there's a, a movie about Aretha Franklin. It's called Aretha, and and I watched it uh, last week with my wife, and it, it was very interesting. I didn't know the whole story of her life and how she grew up, the daughter of a Baptist minister in yes. Detroit, and how they were friends with Martin Luther King. And, oh yeah, and, you know, and she sang at his. Uh, uh, funeral and, and everything, but I can see how she might not trust men because she had a terrible relationship coming along with the men who tried to run
0: her life. See, I tell that story with all humility too. Thank you for saying that because you know it comes from somewhere. So it came from that. And then I also learned, because I want to know more about her, but she also grew up playing in these clubs in Detroit and, and, and these promoters would, you know, if they owed her back then, four grand or three grand, it might be twenty eight hundred. They would shorter, and it never left her that that trust. And so the only way you you overcome it is by understanding it. And I don't I don't have a problem with it. But just to your point on the movie, I watched it. Maybe didn't have the same feelings as everybody. I walked out of there crying like a baby, because it was real for me. I actually felt like. Larry, you had a moment with her. You got to meet her and you see all the people she knew and everything she did. And just like it in the moment, maybe I didn't realize the greatness. But as I think about this one day, I'll go, you know, I look at Tony Bennett when he was on with Lady Gaga. I had Tony three different times for three clubs. And are you kidding me that to have that experience, to be up close with that guy? I, I get emotional thinking about it. Well,
1: it's a great story. And before we run out of time, I want to talk about uh, Jay Thomas. I, f- I found uh, it interesting. He, he, you know, he's not a singer. Uh, he, I do remember him from Big Ways and, in Charlotte, because uh, I grew up in the 70s and listening to the AM station. And then he went on to have this fame and fortune. So so you got a book about music, but then Jay Thomas sneaks into it. Why is that?
0: Jay and I became best buddies when he was working for Big Ways, Big Ways Radio. Um, and uh, he he, and I just uh, you know got to know each other and were each other's best friends. And I was able, to, even though I'm in the world of music, um, his life in the world of entertainment opened up doors for me that I never would have experienced. I mean, I sat on the set with him when he did Mork and Mindy, and when he did Cheers, and uh, watched him film Mr. Holland's Opus. And but yet yeah, he'd come back to Charlotte and stay right here in this little house that we have in the back of our house and he wouldn't stay any fancy rich. He was just my friend, Jay Thomas. And, and, and so, um, and he was that person until the day he died. And when, when he would tell me about what he was doing, whether he was on Letterman or whether he was on you know, doing anything, he would just talk about it as his work. He didn't, you know, he didn't consider himself any big deal. He just considered himself lucky to, to be able to, you know, have had these experiences and he shared them with me. And so, you know, I was, I was, I was really, really lucky uh, uh, to, to known, known Jay and to spent, um, I was with him until a week before he died and he was a big deal in Charlotte. You know, when yeah, he would, um, you know, people had stories about Jay. So. Yeah.
1: And, and you've got a little reading, I think about uh, Jay. He was quite the comedian too. Um, and he had oh, some gosh. story stories he told. I think you've got one of those stories you're
0: going to share. I'd love to. I'm, think the one that everybody in Charlotte knows about Uh, Dave Letterman before I preemptively tell you this. Let me just one week, Lannis, before he died, I called Dave Letterman's manager, got him to call Jay. He told Jay, he said, Jay, I don't need to tell you this. Your story is still the funniest and best story that I ever had on my show. And, and, you know, can you imagine what that meant to him? But the story was about uh, each Christmas as it as it appeared. I'll read it. Uh, Each Christmas appearance, Jay also told what Dave called the greatest talk show of all time. It hurt me to have it paraphrased, but here it goes. Back when he was a DJ at Big Ways, Jay would do remotes at car dealerships, as many disc jockeys do. At one promotion in Charlotte, the station hired Clayton Moore to make a guest appearance in full costume. Moore was best known as the Lone Ranger, the iconic TV show cowboy hero from yesteryear. It's still on reruns. More than 60 years after it first aired, Jay and the Lone Ranger did their bit at the dealership. Then Jay and a friend, Mike Martin, stepped behind the dumpster to get herbed up, medically enhanced, as he told Letterman every year. When the Lone Ranger's ride back to the red carpet Inn on East Moorhead Street didn't show up, Jay and Mike wound up chauffeuring the Lone Ranger and Jay's 10-year-old beat-up Volvo filled with crap. Stuck in traffic, another driver hit Jay's Volvo broke his headlight. Jay chased the knucklehead down. The two drivers got out of the cars. You ran into me and broke my headlight, Jay screamed. The other driver responded, no, I didn't. Jay threatened to call the cops. The man called Jay's bluff. Who are the pluff police going to believe, me or you two stone hippies? That's when the lone ranger stepped out of the car, six guns, silver bullets and all, and declared, they'll believe me citizen and that story (laughs) lives on in infamy and if you google it and he told it for 17 years straight except when he was sick with cancer and then john McEnroe came on the show and he did it bit by bit with jay's expressions which again letterman wanted to keep the tradition going so yeah it was it was really cool
1: that's really good. And it was an interesting story how you met. Apparently, uh, one of the, uh, was it the boardwalk or wherever you had the, uh, he was up late and he he was crawling around on the ground at closing time and he tried to sell you uh, on this idea you. that he had
0: lost $50? Thank you for letting me because it's hysterical. So, okay, I opened this club in 1974. I didn't know Jay, I knew who he was. And the lights come on at midnight and, you know, we're cleaning up and I see a guy on his hands and knees thinking that something was wrong. And I go over and I didn't recognize him, tapped him. And I said, hey, are you okay? And he turns around and said, you're Jay Thomas. He said, yeah. You know, like, so? I said, what are you doing? He said, I lost, a." he was serious. I lost a $50 bill. I was going to wait here till the lights came on and, and you know, see if it was here. I said, well, you want me to help you? He said, yeah. So we look around, it's not there. And, you know, he's Kippinson with me and we're talking. And I figure, okay, he doesn't find it. And then he goes, this is just his crazy fun mind. He goes, hey, let's check your cash draw. I'll recognize my 50s. I go, you, got." We went to breakfast. We became best friends. But the best part of the story, if I can get through it, we, we always kidded about it. And before he died, um, I sent a $50 bill back to him with a note. Jay, I've had it forever. And he he said it was the best gift he ever got that's Oops, great
1: sorry story. no that's a great story i love that story i'm glad you're able to tell it and i'd like to i'd like to talk more i'm just going to you know shout out to middle sea jazz we don't have enough time Thank to talk you. about that but that's uh something people can go check out and before we finish up here just a couple of writing life questions here uh, i noticed that uh you know you you used uh, sort of a co-writer to help you write this book uh, ken garfield why well, why did you decide to go that route, instead of trying to tackle this on your own. You've done everything else, Larry. I mean, you know.
0: Landis, here's why. So quickly, but important, great question. My middle son, Harrison, who's a a neurosurgeon in Phoenix, I'm proud of all my boys equally. But his mother-in-law, Lisa Saunders, is a minister at Christ Church. And she wrote a book about her experiences with funerals. And, And I read it and I was blown away because it was storytelling. And I said, how did you do this, Lisa? She said, well, I told the story and Ken Garfield helped me work Smith it and put it into. And and so she said, why don't you talk to Ken? We met. I just love the guy. And I would sit in this room right here and each chapter I would just write notes and I would do like you and I are doing I would tell the stories, tell the stories, make sure I had the facts right, tell the stories, get pictures. And then he would give me a sort of a rough outline. I'd go back, edit it for accuracy. And that's how he did it. And it was fun because I was able to tell a story like we are. And he was able to take my words. And, and, and so that's, that was sort of how it came and And I couldn't have done it without Ken. He's a much better writer than me. And, uh, and I'm probably a better storyteller than him. So it was a good, a good team. Yeah, that's
1: great. Yeah. And listeners, Lisa Saunders is actually on the podcast. You can go to the website and look under our guest list. And uh, I love it. Yeah. Find her and listen to her episode. She's also got another book out, too. I right, know. But, yeah. But Larry, look, uh, writing is um, hard whether you do it uh, alone or with someone else. And so you've got to be committed to the idea. You've got to have a reason for doing it. Why did you want to write this book?
0: There were two main reasons. Um again, a little bit emotional, but Lisa and I share the greatest thing in the world, uh, a grandson. And then I have two other grandchildren by my oldest son, Adam, who played baseball for Wade, for, uh, for Jake. And um, I-, I looked when my third grandchild was born, I would go to parties, Landis, or I would have parties at my house. People always wanted me to tell the stories. I couldn't tell them all because some were not flattering to the artist. But people seem to be enamored with it. And then I realized I did not want these stories to die in my head. And I looked at these three grandchildren, and I look at my three boys. And I look at my friends who have always asked me to share it. And I went, you know what? It's COVID. I've got some time. And I'm going to do what Lisa did. And I'm going to put these stories down so that one day they'll know what Pops did. And if any of my friends or fellow bandmates or people that just booked bands with me on the way, Want to hear about these stories great and then the best part of all of this two best parts were my boys in the last chapter talked about what it was like to be my sons that meant everything to me and then another one of my friends said larry why don't you you know you're not doing this for money you're going to only write one book and so then i talked to arts plus which is a local group used to be the community school of the arts and i talked to wonderful people there and we're going to take most of the net pre- proceeds lannis and give it to underprivileged kids who can't buy instruments or get lessons. So now, it was originally to tell a story, but it's so rewarding because now on that stage at Middle C or on that stage at Music with Friends, maybe one day, just maybe, there'll be somebody in Charlotte that would have benefited from, from this money and learned and picked up an instrument and become a superstar. So, so now it's even a greater cause.
1: that's great. Well, listeners, we've been talking uh, with Larry Farber. He's the author of Noted Memories, How a Kid from Charlotte Held a Moment with Tony, Aretha, Bonnie, Cheryl, and more. He's uh, still there with uh, the uh, music club we talked about. uh, uh, And uh, you can go listen to some jazz and you can join music with friends and get some some great acts there to watch. uh, you can check out uh, the show notes, charlottespodcast.com to find out more about uh, this book and about Larry and uh, uh, see some pictures and so forth. Uh, Larry, it's been wonderful having you on uh, Charlotte's podcast and uh, wish you all the luck. Uh, I assume you're not through inventing yourself here.
0: No, I, I, my mind still has ideas for Charlotte. And, and, uh, and I, I, as I said, I live and breathe music in that. And I, I, I did pick the right career. And I thank you for having me on the show. It really means, means a lot.
1: Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on.